Hi, my name is Nikki Dutton, and welcome to the More with Nikki Dutton podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Before we jump in, I want to explain a little bit of what this is. This podcast is dedicated towards discovering more in our life, in our relationships, our faith, our physical spaces, our home. And so each of the conversations and the episodes point in that direction as we uncover the more in our life together. I'm so happy that you're here. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the More with Nikki Dutton podcast. I am, of course, Nikki Dutton, and today I have something super, super special for us. So I have had this random idea for the last couple years, and let me unpack it for you. Basically, the idea is that it would be so cool if I could start out spending one day with someone that I really admire. So let's say that person is Miss Trudy Cathy White, who was our very first podcast interview guest. And then if I could spend that day with her, just seeing everything she wants me to see, learning everything she wants me to learn. And then at the conclusion of that day, at the end of that day, for her to then recommend someone to me, maybe that I've never met before, hopefully that I've never met before, that she thinks is a really big deal in her world. And so then I could go and spend one whole day with that person, learning from them, seeing their world, and just kind of start collecting this library of experiences and relationships and people and lessons. And I've just had this idea for a while. And as amazing as it would be to do that in real time, in real life, and to fly all over the U.S. and then ultimately probably all over the world as those connections would build out, that hasn't quite been possible because one, got to work a job, and two, global pandemic. So I had this idea then to maybe kind of morph that into the podcast. So as I'm starting to have podcast interviews to ask each guest, who are one or two people that you would recommend that after you've been on this podcast, you think really get the idea of finding more in their life. And they could be anyone, someone that I know, someone that I don't know. Well, following our very first interview on this podcast with Miss Trudy, I asked her that question. Who are two people that you would recommend that I talk to that you think just really get this concept? And without hesitation, she recommended her daughter-in-law, Kylie White. So this conversation today is with Kylie White, who is a new friend of mine, but has one of the most impactful stories that I've heard in a long time. And we mentioned this in our conversation today that we live in a world that is full of stories. Marketing and branding and Instagram literally has stories and all the shows and the movies. I mean, there's just so many stories in the world. But with Kylie, there is just something significant about her story. There's something significant about her perspective. And as she has navigated all these different plot twists in her life, the perspective that she has in the midst of it has been really powerful. And for all of us, we've navigated a huge plot twist in the last year. And even before that and beyond that, I know that so many of us have been through plot twists in our own lives. And so my hope is that this conversation with Kylie just helps you to reflect on your own story, your own perspective. And I hope you just enjoy getting to know this new friend just as much as I have. 
Well, I'm so excited this morning to introduce you to someone that I just met recently. Uh, her name is Kylie White, and she was connected to me through Trudy Kathy White, who was the very first podcast interview guest. And so good morning, Kylie. How are you? Good morning. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy that you're here. And like I said, you're a new friend to me. Uh, so I would love if you could just introduce yourself to the people who are listening who may not know you either. Yes, my name is Kylie White. I am newly lo- relocated back in Atlanta. Um, my husband and I, John, have been married for almost 17 years, which has gone by in a minute. And we have four kids that are from third grade all the way up to ninth grade. So we've got the um, full school <laughs> yes, age range covered. That's perfect. That's amazing. Yeah, you guys definitely have the full range covered and you've been through a lot already in, you said 17 years of marriage. Is that what you said? That's right. Wow. So in 17 years, you guys have already been through a lot because I know we chatted on the phone a couple weeks before this and you mentioned that after you guys got married, you and your husband moved to North Carolina and the two of you were owning and operating a Chick-fil-A there. And then also in the 17 years, you've had two surprise pregnancies, 18 months apart. You adopted your two youngest from the Congo and then you had a stirring on your life to live on purpose. And on our call, I know the, the words that you used um, was that you just didn't want to be a slave to your calendar and you felt like God was calling you to more. Can you just talk more about that? Yeah, I think in those early years of both marriage and parenting, you know, we, uh, John started his role. Um, I was not planning on getting pregnant. So, you know, right after about a year of marriage, we got pregnant and, um, you know, I had kind of wanted to you know, work and be in ministry and all these different things. And so it was kind of, I was kind of left with like, okay, what now? And, you know, when our daughter was nine months old, surprise again, and there was another little guy on the way. So I was just like, okay, Lord, you know, those early years, you're changing diapers and wiping noses and prepping snacks all day long. And although motherhood was a great mission for me, I felt this stirring of like, there's something more and there's something else outside the walls of my home. While I want to pour into my kids and point them to Jesus, I felt this stirring of, I don't want to live the American dream with a Christian spin on it with 2.4 kids and going to church on Sundays and just having a, a decent life or a good life. Like I wanted the more from God. Like I just kept asking is this it? And not in a way where I was ungrateful or discontent, but in a way that I wanted more to engage the kingdom of God with our family. Like, why did you bring us together? Why do we have these two kids and what do you want us to do with it? And so that's really when a lot of prayer, you know, my husband and I got away and really looked at like, what is the purpose of our marriage and how can we live for God on mission in America Um, with the family he's given us. And that really led us to open our eyes to both the orphan crisis, the unreached, a lot of different things, which led us on our journey to adoption. And what have you guys learned along the way? I know that there's so much to know about the orphan crisis. There's so much to know about adoption. What are just a few of the things that you guys have learned along the way about those two things? Yeah, I think it all started with a posture of surrender, not like a mission to do one thing or Um, something specific, but it was just like, okay, God, our hands are open with our lives. 
What do you want? And he just really steered our hearts. And, and it got to a point where it would have been disobedience to say no to adoption because it was so clear from so many different um, places. And really what start like the place I heard him speak most to me, I was reading Isaiah 58 one day as I was praying for what is next for us and what do you have? And it was really just like, you know, this is not the kind of fast I want. The one that kind of just like does something and comes right back. He talks about them bowing their head like a reed. And you think about those like reeds by the water mm-hmm. that like, if you pull them yeah. down, they snap right back up. And it's like, that's not the kind of life I had for you to just perform mm-hmm. for me. But like, it's, it happens in relationship. And as you draw closer to the Lord, it's like, he opens your heart to what his heartbeat is for. And I think the more that I read even the New Testament and the Gospels, it was like Jesus was showing us what it looks like to be a son and a daughter. He wasn't just doing good works. He was showing what comes out of a relationship with the Father. And so I think that's where it really started for me because, you know, as a younger high schooler and those sort of things, I felt like such a performer for God, like I wanted to do the right thing and you know, do things for him. And I think in some place in my heart, I thought, oh, I'll earn like more love or I'll earn approval. And I think what really changed in that posture of surrender time in our early marriage was I'm done doing it for just the sake of doing it. I'm doing it because I'm compelled out of relationship with Christ. And so I think that's the most important place is not just to do things for the Lord, but to first ask him, because it's a two-way relationship where he speaks. And I think that was the most surprising part of the journey is like, as I asked, he spoke. And I think that was so surprising. I think I just thought he'd talk to me through his word or whatever, but it was just the way that the spirit moved in that time. And so Mm -hmm. I think really what it starts with is surrender. And then as we moved forward through that in prayer, he just opened every door. He made it so clear. Um, you know, as we prayed through the where's of adoption and the how many's and everything, it was just so crazy how specific God is and how intimate he is and how detailed he is. And so it was such an exciting journey, even though it was hard um, because I felt, I think when you're in that place of dependence, it's kind of like, that's all I got. (laughs) You've got to speak and you've got to move. So um, he just blew my mind with, what his heart breaks for, you know, the 163 million orphans around the world. And how do we engage in that crisis? It doesn't mean everybody adopts. It just means, you know, we're all, we're all available to what God has for us. And so I think um, even, even as we brought our two youngest home, so we had our biological kids were five and four, and then our, we brought home a four and one-year-old biological. So we had, um, a crazy house there for a while. Uh-huh. It was just such an exciting time of obedience. And then faith, just like this bursting at the seams faith of like, as the more I stepped out, the more God was like, okay, now here, here, here. So it's just really exciting. That's amazing. And I mean, thinking even just about adoption in general, I have a couple very close friends who are going through the adoption process right now. So what advice would you give family members, community members, church members that are just ready to surround and like love a family that is choosing adoption? How could we love them even better? Yeah, I mean, I think 
I try to go in as eyes wide open as I could to adoption by reading the books and going to the conferences. But I think really where it starts is, is adoption starts at trauma. And I think that was my eyes got open to that more and more as the years went on is, you know, this starts with a loss and what, you know, Satan is the king of destruction and um, just killing and hurting the family, which is from his very first act, you know, he wanted to destroy that community and that union. And so I think really is where the church comes in is, is in the restoration process and the support and the love and the pointing back to Jesus and the, you know, there was some, it kind of makes you confront suffering in a way you haven't before. You know, there's no little Sunday school cliche tied up answer to like, why did this happen? And why, when's my heart going to heal? And, you know, it's just really caused our family to hit some things head on instead of just kind of skirting around issues. And so we're like, okay, we're going to do counseling. We're going to bring mentors into our life. We're going to lean into, you know, the racial tension and how do we grow and how do we point you to Jesus in all these things. And so I think it's really just been, you know, and then the church and our community has surrounded us so much to where it's lifting me up when I'm down and discouraged and defeated. It's pointing our kids to Jesus when they're questioning, who am I and why and am I broken forever and all these things, you know? Yeah. So it really is, you know, it really does take a village to raise a child, but especially a child coming from trauma. And I think of that verse in James one twenty seven, where it's talking about, you know, true religion is this, but it says to enter into the distress. And I think that's really what adoption has been is it's taking it on ourselves. You know, we're entering into their suffering and taking it on and, mm-hmm and trying to, you know, give a place for Jesus to work to where we're continually showing them who he is, even in the brokenness to say like, I lost it and I lost my patience and I feel discouraged, but he's still strong when we're weak. So. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said is just so key because I have also been through a lot in the last few years and that it's so uncomfortable to be in that disappointment or to be in that pain or to even be in that trauma. Uh, We were, my husband and I were talking with some friends recently, actually some older friends, they're more like mentors. And uh, the husband was saying that whenever you are on a police, a fire team or a search and rescue team, if you ever are in a situation where something really tragic happens, they have this thing that they, do with those that are involved called a critical stress debrief. And so right after that moment, there's someone who's there to at least just walk you through the basics of what has happened. And I thought that that was really brilliant because I think there are so many things in our lives that we could use a critical stress debrief for, especially what you're talking about with children who have been through things that were not their fault, that was just, you know, a really awful, awful situation. But what can be hard is that sometimes in the church, instead of like sitting in that moment, we can just rush through and say, and I've done this. We can say, it's going to be okay. God's got you. Like everything works, all things for good. And he does, and he is good. But if you don't have that moment where you're able to just sit in that critical stress debrief to really just look at what has happened and kind of sort through how it has affected you, then I do think it can kind of stunt our joy and our growth and our wholeness in the future for sure. Definitely. I think we are a suffering avoidant culture for sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we don't know how to grieve well. No. And even people around 
the grievers don't know how to grieve Mm -hmm. with well. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that's been a real challenge for us, even for our biological kids to get a front row seat to Mm -hmm. their siblings grief and it comes in waves and cycles. And, and it's just been a real joy to walk through that together because you're right. The more you experience grief, the greater your joy, because you know, the pit. And I think you look at Psalms, it's all in there. He's, he's got his gamut of emotions and God can handle it all. So we don't have to come to him with this, like put together a little box of I'm good and just be with me. And, you know, these things that we say that are, that are masks to what's really going on. Well, and I mean, I know one of my favorite people, Bob Goff, he says that as Jesus followers, we love hungry people, thirsty people, naked people, sick people, strange people, and people in jail, which is based off of Matthew 25. And that means that we are inevitably going to encounter hard things. And not just because of the people we're loving, but because we're humans in a broken world. So we're going to experience those things. So I think, yeah, getting a handle on how to sit and be in those painful places with other people is really important. And I know that you said that God called you to more and then that you guys took this big jump, this leap to lean in and to be open-handed to adoption. And you're just pursuing this life of more as a family, but then something else happened and your life began to change in a major way. Can you tell us what that story was? Yeah, I think ever since the adoption, it wasn't just a check mark. Um, It was like, okay, God, like now you've called us to this. What's next? And it's like this adventurously expectant life of what's next with the Lord. And so that led us to all different places. The more he opened our eyes to the orphan crisis, you know, we were like, okay, we can't just, you know, just do life here. What is partnering with a ministry somewhere else look like? So we got engaged with an orphan prevention ministry in East Africa called Care for AIDS and took all of our kids to Kenya multiple times, um, probably each year to um, just love on the hurting and the the modern day lepers of society there living with AIDS in East Africa and, and just really getting to watch a ministry restore the family. And so that was just such a fun part of our journey to do ministry as a family. Even though we're not missionaries, we can still live missionally here. And so that was exciting. And then as our kids got older, you know, I kept feeling that stirring again, like God's about to do something. God's about to do something. And then, um, you know, one day my husband was like, I just watched a documentary and I know this is going to sound crazy, but you, he was watching a documentary on the airplane and it was about seeing eye dogs. And he was like, there was a lady on the documentary that had all these little quirks, just like you do. And he was like, it would just make me feel better if you went to the eye doctor. And I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had been tripping and these sort of things. And I was just like, I'm just busy and rushing through. Like I just need to slow down and whatever. But I was like, I'll go. And so I went to like the equivalent of a vision works uh, locally and expecting maybe I need glasses, you know, I was 30, 36 at the time. So maybe it's just time. And, and I walked in there and they did test after test. And I think the lady's eyes got bigger and bigger after each test. And she kept calling in different doctors and, Um, by the end of the appointment, you know, she said, you either have a brain tumor pressing on your optic nerve or you're going blind and you need to get in with a specialist right away to figure this out. And I had a week to sit with that information before I could get in with a retinal specialist. And so talk about immediate uh, dependence and surrender, uh, something that I had not planned. Um, But, you know, as soon as she spoke the words, for some reason, only Jesus 
it was just an immediate peace. Like, this is what, like, you've got me and you, and I've walked these journeys of suffering with people and my own children. Like, I know you're good, even in the, like in the hardest places, that's where I find them the easiest. It's almost when things are good. It's like, I end up coasting or I end up kind of being like, I got it. You know, everything's fine. So I knew this, this invitation was there in this diagnosis. It was not something that he was going to use to crush me. It was something that he had for my good. And, you know, a week later got in with the retinal specialist and she confirmed, yes, you have retinitis pigmentosa. It's a degenerative eye disorder where um, you lose your vision from the outside in. So it's a peripheral starts with peripheral and night vision And at that point, at the time of diagnosis, I had already lost 60% of my sight, which is surprising that I could go through (laughs) not knowing, but it's just a gradual progression from the outside in that, you know, if I moved my eyes, I could see just fine. I have 20, 20 vision straight ahead, but everything to the sides was gone. So um, just a really surprising time um, in our life. And then when was that? How long ago was that? Did you say? So that was January of 19. So just two years ago. And so what have the last two years looked like then in this journey with your eyesight and explaining this to your family and just kind of adjusting life? What has that looked like? Yeah, I think because of our adoption journey, we've kind of always hit hard conversations head on in our family. So I ended up telling the kids the week of diagnosis, Hey, you know, this has happened to mom. Mommy's losing my sight. Like, you know, we're just going to lean on the Lord in this. We know he has something for us. And so we've just always been super honest um, with the kids. And so shared that with them. Um, And just, I think it really opened my heart again to that season of surrender. Like just as we started in the adoption journey, like, okay, God, here we are. My hands are open. This is completely out of my control, but it's completely in yours and you're sovereign over this. And I want to, journey with you in this. I want your peace. I want your wisdom as I walk this path. And then I think month after month, those early, really the first eight months, it was really worse news after worse news, each appointment, you know, at first they kind of said, Oh, you'll probably lose your sight by the time you're 65. And I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's not so bad. And then, (laughs) you know, two appointments later, you know, I did the genetic testing and all this stuff. And they're like, Oh, actually you're your gene that causes your retinitis pigmentosa is a really fast progressing, um, diagnosis. So you probably have five to 10 years left in your sight. And, you know, I think those words, like I, I almost didn't want them. Like, I was like, I don't want to live with a ticking clock over my head. I want to, to lean into the more God has. And I know that he's good, no matter what I found so much comfort in like, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly, not because I behave, but because I'm covered in Christ's righteousness. And I think it was such a comfort that I'm his daughter and fathers want good things for their daughters. And so he's just asking me, And I think as I look back on these last two years, really what the Lord has spoken over it is it was never about the outcome of blindness. It was an invitation to a deeper place with him that he could, I couldn't have had any other way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if he can bring one person to Christ, I'll do this a million times over. It's, it would be my joy, but I also want to walk through it as a daughter who's just leaning on her father, like, okay, like, I don't know what this is and I don't know what to do, but. 
I'm just trusting you. So it's just really been a beautiful journey that I've been so grateful for. I don't want a life of ease. I want the life he has for me and whatever that is, I want to walk it because I know he's with me, not because I can do it on my own. So, yeah, I mean, on our first phone call, when you shared this story with me, it was the very first time I had ever heard it. And you said that in this, in the last couple of years, you've lost physical sight, but you realize that you've gained spiritual sight. Well, what does that mean? How would you describe that to someone who is trying to reconcile what it could mean to lose your physical sight, but to um, have your spiritual vision increasing? Yeah. You know, it's funny because those early months people were like, why are you not more angry? Why are you not more like devastated? And I was like, the only question I keep coming back to is like what the disciples said. I think it was Peter said like, where else shall I go? Like, where else can I go? Like the only other option is like bitterness and anger and despair. And I don't want that. Like, where else can I go but you, Jesus? So I'm just going with you. And I think when you're in the middle of suffering, you kind of have those two choices. Do I just Mm -hmm. go down the path and dwell in despair and anger and why me? And this isn't fair. Do I dwell there or do I visit there and be honest with my feelings, but say, okay, yeah, that feels like that. But God, my feelings aren't always true. And I want your truth and I want your wisdom and your peace and your perspective. And so I think that was my prayer those early, that first year, especially is like, give me eyes to see whether it's physical or whether it is just spiritual. I want eyes to see this diagnosis in the way you see it, God. I want eyes to see this journey in the way you see it. I want spiritual sight far more than I want spiritual sight. Mm -hmm. And I remember worshiping one day and I was driving in my car and singing and like, weeping. And like, I saw this vision of this like beautiful landscape that you've never seen before. I mean, mountains, lakes, streams, I mean, green fields, flowers, and I had a blindfold on and Jesus was walking me towards the landscape and leading me and then took off my blindfold. And it was like, I can wear a blindfold for a while because the sight that he has for me and the restoration and the beauty it's not just physical, like open my eyes to the way God sees the world. And I think, you know, the, I've been reading in the gospels and in acts these last, this last few weeks, and I've just been mind blown with how much he says, like, bring your kingdom come and the kingdom of God is at hand and all these things. Like I want to bring the kingdom of God here and the kingdom of God is not a temporary thing. It's sight is temporary. Diagnosis is momentary. Like but what is unseen is eternal. And so I've just opened my eyes to that God, because that's so much richer than the sight that I have here. And so I think that's been my prayer. And the more I've prayed it, the more he's honored that prayer and given me eyes to see him in a new way. And he's opened my eyes to the spiritual realm, even so much more than before and given me eyes to see his heart and the Holy Spirit in a new way and scripture in a new way. And I'm like, that is so much better than just like getting to see things with my physical eyes. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's so, as I've been like listening to this story for the second time, I was just thinking that your story is so powerful because we live in a culture that tells stories all the time. Marketing is stories, um, Netflix is stories, you know, it's just story after story after story after story, but there's just something special about your story that really stays with you. So I remember after we had our first phone conversation, you would come to my mind so frequently and it wasn't um, just that. I was thinking about like the facts of your story. It was more like the message behind it and like the implication and like that imploring from you and your story and the Lord within you to say like, there is more, like you can still see more in life and in the Lord and in family, regardless of something that feels so, um, yeah, earth shattering, <laughs> you know, depending on your perspective, it right. really can feel like an end to life as you know it. But instead, just like you shared in that vision, it's actually an invitation to a whole different perspective, which is very, very, very powerful. Yes. Well, I know that you obviously have talked so much about finding more in, you know, issues of social justice and family and perspective, but what like final piece of advice would you give those that are listening that want to find more in their own lives? I think really what ties it all together, which I may have started with is you don't just do more, you ask more and you lean in more and he does the more in you. It's, I think early on, I felt like I had to muster the more and I had to add the more to my life to make it meaningful. But instead, it's just this posture of open hands and God, where do you want me? And what's next? And, and what's the more you have for me? And it's not in your own uh, is not in your own righteousness. It's his righteousness covering us that compels us to the more. And when you're in that relationship, that's where it flourishes. And I think, so my challenge would just be to lean in and to open your hands and to ask God for more. And he's going to give it. He's a God of more. So why wouldn't he, you know, he has the world at his fingertips. And I think sometimes he's just waiting for us to ask and to believe more from him instead of put him in this box that this is what life will look like. And this is a good life. And I'll just do this, you know, instead, like, God, like blow my mind with the more and bring your kingdom come and let me just be a, be a vessel of it. And I'm a flawed and broken vessel, but, but I'm the one that you're going to use because of my posture and because of my open hands. And so I think that would be uh, my challenge is just to ask for more and to pray bigger and to, to dig into the scriptures and not on your own, like ask God as you read the Bible, like, what does this mean? We have the Holy spirit with us and mm -hmm. ask him to help us, um, just reveal what the more is God has for our lives. Wow. That's beautiful and challenging and exciting. It's all of those things all wrapped up in one. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us this morning and just to, yeah, let us have a glimpse into what your perspective on life is. It's super powerful and I'm excited for those that will get to hear this episode and am excited to hear the stories that come out of the people that hear this and what it might challenge them or what it might spark them to do in their own life. So thank you so much, Kylie. Oh, it's my pleasure. 
Like I said, Kylie is incredible. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. And I just wanted to wrap up this episode by sharing a couple ways that you can follow up and learn more about some of the things that Kylie mentioned. One of them was care for AIDS. So I'm going to put a link in this podcast description that can take you to the Care for AIDS website if that's something that piqued your attention that you want to know more about care for AIDS. I'll have that linked in the description. And then another is that Kylie has a blog. And what's really cool about her blog is that it actually goes way back even before the adoption. And so you can really see the progression and the stories that happened along the way. And her blog is called onalightstand.blogspot.com. So I will put that link in the description as well. But until next time, I hope that you are enjoying your day, your life, and I can't wait to be back with you.